turn your microphone on. Uh, I just did. Many of you have had at some point in your life, uh, had to hear the news uh, that someone you love is likely going to be dying soon. Maybe it was because there was an accident and out of the blue, really unexpectedly, you get a call from the hospital and, or from somebody at the hospital letting you know uh, that they're not sure whether or not they're going to make it. More than likely, it's a disease that you got to hear word of and then you watched that progress and wreak havoc on the body of this person that you love. Maybe what most of us would do in a situation like that is that out of our love and concern for that people, we would try to do whatever it takes, whatever we could do. We might start Googling a bunch of stuff, do a lot of research. Well, I heard that maybe this treatment is available. Maybe, maybe you can go this direction. Maybe you can go that direction. We want to find something so that the person that we love doesn't die any sooner than need be. Well, Today we're going to look at a story of a couple of sisters. This is some sisters from a a suburb, really, uh, a number of years ago. uh, And these sisters loved their brother very much. And they saw, because of their brother's condition, that it looked like the time was coming for him to die. But these sisters loved their brother, and because they loved their brother, they wanted to do something about it. And they had this family friend, a family friend who they had at least heard of and probably seen, find some people that he didn't even know. And he loved them and cared for them enough to show his power by taking sick people and healing them. And so, these sisters finding out that their brother was ill and probably on the brink of death, sent some people away. They wanted to stay by their dying brother, so they would send some people away with the intent of them finding their family friend. His name was Jesus, and he had healed others, and certainly if they called for him, he would come, wouldn't he? And he would heal their brother, his friend, named Lazarus. That's a story we're going to look at today. In fact, actually today, we're only going to look at part one of that story uh, because it's a long story and I want to give time to all of the things that God shows us in it. And so we're going to look at John chapter 11, verses 1 to 16. You'll have to come back next week uh, for part two. But here's the big idea today. The big idea today is this. Even when death seems unavoidable, we can trust Jesus because he loves us. That's the big idea. Like I said, we're going to be in John 11, 1 to 16, title of the message, Going to Die. And so if you would uh, be willing to, could you please stand as we read God's Word? This is the Word of God. And so that's why we do something different. When I'm reading it, we want to, we want to stand. Uh, let's, uh, let's pray first, and then I'll read right from John chapter 11. God, I thank you for your love for us, and I pray that you would come and by your Holy Spirit working through your word, accomplish what you want to accomplish right now. Where there needs to be conviction of sin, would you bring that? Where there needs to be comfort, uh, would you bring that? And where there needs to be uh, a hearing again of the truth or a hearing for the first time the truth, would you help us to have ears to hear, to have hearts that are ready to receive and lives that are ready to change? In Jesus' name, amen. John 11, 1 through 16, God's word says this. Now, a certain man was ill 
Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Well, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because He sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. You can be seated. Many of you know uh, the rest of the story, uh, and it is hard to stop right there. But the rest of the story is so good, and I want to spend adequate time on it. If you look in your bulletin, there is a spot for you to take notes, a sermon outline, and the life group guide, which I always remind you, even if you're not in a life group, we want you to be people that are applying the Word of God. Use uh, what's there for that purpose. We're going to look at verses 1 to 6 first. This is taking place, uh, part of it is taking place anyway, in the town of Bethany. That's a little town just outside of Jerusalem. Now you remember, if you were here last week, at the end of chapter 10, Jesus, his life was being threatened. They were going to throw stones at him. They were trying to arrest him. And so Jesus and the disciples leave that area. They were just there, but they've left that area and they've been doing ministry for a time. We don't know how long. On the other side of the Jordan where John the Baptist had previously done ministry. Now there is a town over there called Bethany too, right in that area where John used to do the ministry, but it's not the same Bethany, okay? So there's another Bethany This Bethany being the one very close to Jerusalem. It's the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, John reminds us that that these were people who knew Jesus well, and Jesus knew them well. In fact, it was this Mary, there's a lot of Marys in the Bible, but it was this Mary who had anointed Jesus with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother, Lazarus, who was ill. So, like I said at the beginning, sisters who love their brother and are finding out that he is ill and maybe at the point of death, they want to do something about it. And so, they sent to him. They find some others who will go for them so they can stay with him and sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. This is the message that you are to give to him. Lord, he whom you love is ill. 
And the expectation, wouldn't you have this expectation, if you had seen or heard of Jesus healing strangers, and he's a family friend of your whole family, that certainly when word gets to him, he's going to drop everything and come and be with you right away. That's what you would expect. Let's go on, though. Verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. We've heard language like that before. Remember at the beginning of John chapter 9, Jesus uh, was asked by the disciples, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents? That this man was born blind. And Jesus said, this happened for the glory of God. Right? And so he's saying something similar here, but he says at the beginning, this illness does not lead to death. I'm not sure exactly why the ESV translates it this way. If you have another translation, almost all the other translations say something, this illness will not end in death. So if you read the rest of the story, which we read just a little bit ago, you know that this is going to, he's going to die, right? Lazarus is going to die. Not ending in death or not leading to death is really pointing to Jesus making sure they know this is not the ultimate end, okay? The ultimate end of this story is not Lazarus dies, okay? That's not how this story ends. That's not the ultimate end of the story. Something's going to happen for the glory of God. He has not yet told them what that is. Now, these two verses, verses 5 and 6, when you put them together, it's one of those spots in the Bible that makes you at the very least raise your eyebrow, like one eyebrow. Can you do that? Can you raise one like that? Like, huh? You know, or, 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 or even more than that might make you a bit upset because it doesn't seem to make sense. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says this, Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus knows all of them. They're his friends. Martha, Mary, Lazarus, Jesus, what does it say in verse 5? Jesus loved them. Okay, so we know that. He's sick. He's dying. Jesus heals people. He loves them. Oh, we know what's coming, right? Verse 6, so, see the connection between verse 5 and verse 6? That word, so, Jesus loved them, so, if we're filling in the blank, we're saying he comes right away, he drops whatever he's doing, he gets there, and he heals him, because he can. But here's what it says, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was probably taking a day for these people to get to Jesus. Now he's hearing this news, staying there a couple more days. It's going to take him a day uh, to get back there if he decides to go. But at this point, he's deciding to stay. That's the kind of thing that might make us raise our eyebrows. What he hears, he knows what's going on. He's able to do something about it, but he decides to stay in the place where he was for two days longer. I want to keep going with the passage in a moment, but some application here because I, I think this is helpful for us to be thinking through because has anyone in here ever prayed for someone? You've prayed, maybe it's for yourself, maybe it's for someone you love, and you've prayed that God would intervene. 
because things aren't looking good right now. And so you've prayed and you've asked God to intervene. And you know that He knows the situation. You know that He's able. You know that He loves you. But you've asked and it seems that nothing is happening. That, that healing didn't come right away or maybe not at all. It makes sense, doesn't it, that if you're in a difficult situation and you know Jesus loves you, know that Jesus can fix it, that if you ask him to, he will. It's almost like we have this kind of uh, thinking. If Jesus loves me, he will fill in the blank, right? So fill in the blank with whatever situation that you've been coming to him with. If Jesus loves me, he will Right? I mean, isn't that what Mary and Martha were probably thinking? If Jesus loves us, he loves Lazarus, and he can do something, he's going to do something. That's what, that's, what, that's what we're asking him for. And surely he can do it. He'll do it, right? If Jesus loves me, he will. Right. What, what's that situation for you in your life right now? Have you been praying for something and found that you're not getting it? This is real and this is painful. You love Jesus. Your dad loves Jesus. Your dad has cancer. You want God to take the cancer away. You've been asking. You know he's able to do that. But it doesn't seem like that's what's going to be happening. You might ask yourself, is God not powerful? Does Jesus not really love us? What's the deal here? You can see how, how this might cause some questions, even some doubts, maybe some frustration, maybe some anger. Jesus loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Why is he staying where he's at for two days? They need him now. This is an emergency and he's the great physician. He better not be doing something other than showing up right away, right? That, that might be the kind of thing that they're thinking. So will we doubt or will we trust? Ask this question. Do we trust that God ordains the suffering of his people because he loves us for our good and for his glory. Jesus knew what was going to happen when he chose to stay in that place for two days longer, right? He knew what was going to happen. We find that out here in a little bit. He knew what was going to happen. He knew the kind of grief that when these people who lost their brother, these people that he loved, they, he knew that this was going to bring about suffering. Lazarus was going to be sick until he died. And so, do we trust that God sometimes ordains the suffering of His people, not because He doesn't love us, but because He loves us for our good and for His glory? Have we seen this in Scripture? Think about that for a second. Do we see that anywhere in Scripture, that God ordains the suffering of some of His people for the greater good and for His glory because He loves them? The high school, Sunday school class, they're working right now and going through Genesis 37 through 50, the account of Joseph. That would be a great biblical example, wouldn't it be, of somebody who suffered greatly. His brothers sold him into slavery and told dad that he was killed by wild animals. Right, And so dad is grieving, thinking he's lost his son. Joseph is sold into slavery. He gets put into a position of power, but then he's falsely accused of something, thrown into prison, and forgotten. Right? And so this man has gone, and then what is his testimony, though, at the end? What you intended for evil, God intended for good. 
think God was overseeing all of this. You all intended it for evil. Was what they did really evil? Yes. Did it really bring about real suffering? Yes. But Joseph understood God intended this for good. He got that. We see this all throughout Scripture. We're going to talk about it a little bit more when we get to communion here in a bit. But we also see this. We also see this in church history. In church history, we can look back and see all of the ways that God ordains the suffering of His people because He loves them for their good and for His glory. I've read bits of before, and I ordered this week like the full 400-page version because I am so uh, just captured by this man's heart in the way that God worked in him. You, have you heard of the missionary named John Patton? I think that's how you say his name. I don't know. I've only read it, so maybe that's not how you pronounce it. Have you heard of John Patton? He was a young, successful urban missionary. He was Scottish, okay? Young, successful urban missionary. He was reaching people with the gospel in the comforts of Western Europe. Uh, 1858. He is called by God uh, in the middle of all this success in ministry, uh, senses a call by God that he and his pregnant wife are going to go to serve in uh, some South Pacific islands, kind of, if you're thinking geographically, kind of between Australia and Hawaii, okay? There's these uh, 80 islands about uh, where a number of different tribes live, and most of them never heard the gospel. And this man has a burning in his heart given to him by God that these people are going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, 19 years earlier... Two men had had a similar burden and had gone there and were killed and eaten by, uh, were cannibalized, okay? Um, and so you can imagine that the people that know and love John are going to give him the advice, John, you don't want to go there. One of the elders who knew John advised him to continue doing your mission work here. Look at all the people that you're discipling here. But he says, no, here's what he says to that man. The man's name was Mr. Dixon. And I love this quote. He says, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in a grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. That's powerful. And so, against the advice of some people, John and his pregnant wife set off. takes a long time to get there. They arrive in November. November 5th, they arrive on shore. Baby is born uh, on February. Uh, I didn't write the date down. In February. So, a few months later, the baby's born. Three months after. So, so there's all sorts of sickness that they get introduced to on this island. Three weeks after the baby is born, uh, his wife dies. And two weeks after that, the baby dies. And so this man is now alone in this place, a uh, very, very dangerous place to be. He works and labors there alone for four years. Here's what he wrote. He said, I felt her loss beyond all conception or description in that dark land. It was very difficult to be resigned, left alone, and in sorrowful circumstances. Can you imagine? but feeling immovably assured that my God and Father was too wise and loving 
to err in anything that he does or permits. I looked up to the Lord for help and struggled on in his work. That's powerful. For this man to say, I'm, I'm grieving. I was going through suffering and I was in constant danger. But here's what I know. Here's what keeps a man there. Because here's what happened. Four years he serves there on that island, seeing little fruit in that time, uh, some fruit in that time. Then he's uh, forced off of the island, has to go back and does missionary mobilization work for four more years. He, he's, he's remarried. He and his wife come back to uh, an island there, land on a different island, preach the gospel there, disciple people over a period of 41 years. Everybody on that entire island comes to faith in Christ. That, uh, those string of islands now, the, the nation is called Vanuatu. Uh, there now, uh, over 100,000 people identify as evangelical Christians on that island. That's over ha- almost half of the population of that place a number of years later. And that man who was going through that kind of suffering and sorrow said this, I am immovably assured that my God and Father was too wise and loving to err in anything that he does or permits. God didn't make a mistake. Our Father is too wise and too loving to make an error in anything. He sent him there on purpose. He knew it, and that's why he stuck with it. So this happens in church history that God ordains the suffering of his people because he loves us for our good and for his glory. This happens in scripture, and so we need to ask ourselves, is it possible that this is happening in our life? Is there a circumstance in your life that you wouldn't have chosen? That if it was up to you, you wouldn't have chosen this? That you've prayed and you've asked God to take this situation away? Are you facing that today? Do you believe that God ordains the suffering of His people because He loves us for our good and for our glory? All right. So Lazarus is sick. He's going to die. Jesus hears this news and decides because He loves them to stay in that place for two more days. Now, the question becomes not is Lazarus going to die. The question is now is Jesus going to die. That's what we see in the next verses. Because remember, at the end of chapter 10, why did Jesus and the disciples leave that area in the first place? It's because the people there wanted to kill Jesus. And so it makes sense that the disciples ask him this question. Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are we going there again? Because Jesus suggested that they go back to Judea. And the disciples, who love him and are probably a bit concerned for their own lives, say to Jesus, they were trying to stone you. You want to go back there? It's safe here. Look at, look at all the ministry that's happening here. We've got people coming to faith in Jesus up in this Bethany. Why do you want to go down to that Bethany where people wanted to kill you last time you were there? You, you want to go there? Right? That's the question they ask. And then Jesus says something. It may be a little hard to understand at first, but let me just read it to you. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. See, I was reading a bit about this. And so their understanding in that world was that the daytime was there that we might work during the entire daylight hours and that we might then rest during the nighttime hours. They didn't have the technology to you know, light stuff up and work at night, but the expectation was you would work during the entire day. And one commentator that I read uh, said it this way. He said, uh, 
Jesus must follow the path of the Father's will while life lasts. It may be the 11th hour of daylight, but that's no reason for staying in retirement. So they say, Jesus, let's let's not go there. They want to stone you there. And Jesus, by talking about light and darkness, it's as though he's saying, there's still work for me to do. It's still daytime. Maybe the end is drawing near. Maybe, Maybe I am going to die. He knows that he's going to die soon. But right now, we need to walk in the light. We need to go and we need to do the work that God has given us to do. And are you with me or are you not? You're going to walk with the light, the one who is the light of the world? not going to stumble. You're going to be okay if you're with me. And so then we read the last verses about following Jesus to death. <laughs> Lazarus has died. Jesus tries to tell them. Uh, Jesus tries to tell the disciples a lot of things that they don't get right away. This is one of them. Okay? Jesus is using, using a euphemism, okay? another way to say it, uh, maybe a softer way to say it. So he says to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples are thinking, that he, like, he's just, he's sleeping. He was sick and he's sleeping. They're kind of thinking, well, I mean, he'll get better. Do we need to go wake him up? Like, that doesn't, so, so they say to Jesus, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Like, if that's the problem, that he's fallen, like, he was sick and he fell asleep, well, he'll recover. He'll wake up and, you know, you sleep it off. You get better. Now, John tells us Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Okay, Jesus is patient with his disciples. We've seen that over and over again. And so Jesus now tells them plainly, Lazarus has died. Okay, that, that's what I'm trying to say, guys. Lazarus has died. He's not, he's not taking a, a little nap to kind of hopefully see if this sickness will pass. Lazarus has died. And then Jesus says this, And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe but let us go to him. Part of the reason that Jesus delayed is revealed here. Part of the reason that Jesus delayed and didn't go and heal Lazarus right right away was for the sake of the disciples. That's part of how God is glorified, that these disciples who were maybe still a bit shaky in their belief, they, they knew that Jesus had the power to heal the sick, but they needed to know that Jesus had the power to raise the dead. And so Jesus says, for your sake, I'm glad that I didn't go, that you may believe. So now let us go to him. They're going to go. Verse 16, Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. See, Thomas is assuming that they're going to, going to the death of Lazarus, expecting fully fully expecting that this is going to be when Jesus dies as well. And he says, I'm his disciple. I'm going to go with him. I'm going to follow him to death. Let's go. Let's go with him. Thomas is up for following Jesus to death. And that's where we're stopping for the week. That's kind of a bummer, but uh, the rest of the story is really, really good. You can read it on your own. Um, I'll spoil it for you. Um, Lazarus doesn't stay dead, okay? Well, we got to ask ourselves this question, are we going to die? And the answer is yeah, and unless Jesus returns first, we, we have to deal with the reality that we're going to die. Will it be a sickness that our family members will have enough time to do some research and figure out what can be done, maybe? 
will it be an accident where it comes and we weren't expecting it? Maybe. We, we don't know when, right? We don't know how, but we know it will happen, okay? So, so are we going to die? The answer is yes. Here's what it says in Scripture in Hebrews 9.27, just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, Okay, so, so we know that, that, that death is coming, and following death, there's, there's judgment based upon what you did with Jesus while you were alive. How did you respond to Jesus? Did you recognize the truth that you are a sinner who deserves punishment? And did you hear the good news that Jesus died in your place for your sin? And did you turn away from sin and turn toward Jesus? Is that what you did in your lifetime? If so, then when the day of judgment comes, you will be safe because the punishment for your sin has been placed on Jesus. Are we going to die? The answer is yes. And then the next question is this. Will we believe Jesus and follow him to death? so that we will see his power over death. The disciples who chose to go with Jesus, they were going to get to see this. Those who choose to follow Jesus get to see that even in the face of death, Jesus has great power. Jesus can look death in the face and say, come out, and a man can come walking out of the grave. That's what we're going to see next week. You follow Jesus to the point of death, and you're going to see it too. That just as Jesus had power over the grave and he himself was raised from the dead, all who trust in him and follow him to death will also one day be raised from the dead. So will we believe Jesus and follow him to death so that we will see his power over death? Matthew sixteen twenty four says it this way, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The reality is that you're going to die, that we're all going to die. And so the question has to be, have you, have you given your life to Jesus? Have you repented of your sin? Have you put your faith in him? Will you follow him to death so that you can have the assurance that you will one day see his power over death? Earlier, I repeated the phrase that God ordains the suffering of his people because he loves us for our good and for his glory. I told you we've seen that in Scripture. You know where we've seen that in Scripture more clearly than anywhere else? Let me just change two words in that passage. One word. God ordained the suffering of his son because he loves us for our good and for his glory. That's what we come to the table to remember once a month. We come to remember that we need to remember that day in and day out. That this was not an accidental thing. This was Jesus was not just a victim of what some other, he was a victim of some evil works done by people. But ultimately, this was done because God ordained the suffering of his son because he loves us. This was for our good and this was for his glory. Here's what it said, 700 years before Jesus was even born. Prophecy from Isaiah. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief because Jesus came to bear our sin on himself. This was the plan. Jesus knew this was the plan. This is what he had come for, and it's because of his great love for us. Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
you're questioning because of your circumstances. Well, if Jesus really loved me, wouldn't he fill in the blank with whatever? If you are questioning whether or not Jesus really loves you, your answer isn't to look at your circumstances first, but your answer is to look at the cross, to look at the broken body and shed blood, to hold that in your hands again today, to hold the bread and to hold the cup and be reminded that Jesus loves you. And you know that Jesus loves you because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that's what we're going to do today. So if the elders could come forward uh, to serve us in this way.